This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Hello, and welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Today is my birthday. Happy birthday to me. And we have a very special episode for you today. As most of you know, my youngest son, Felix, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes last year. And I have learned so much during this past year about myself and about parenting and about politics and about our healthcare system all through the lens of diabetes. So I wanted to invite some of my favorite people in the diabetic community on to talk about that. First up, you are going to hear from diabetes educator Neil Greathouse, known as the Beaties on social media. Next, you're going to hear from Stacey Sims, author of The World's Worst Diabetes Mom. She is, in fact, not the world's worst diabetes mom. We, we get to that. And also the host of the podcast, Diabetes Connection. And then you're going to hear from my son, Felix, who spoke with me about his time at diabetes camp. Now, this is not just an episode for people with diabetes. In fact, the entire inspiration for this episode is how much diabetes can illuminate, even if you have no idea what a CGM or an A1C or a PDM even is. So I hope that you will join us for the conversation afterwards and that you enjoy this episode. It is one very close to my heart. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our fearless finance advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. I hope you guys don't mind to time travel back with me about a year. I was in the process of resigning myself to the idea that part of middle age for me might mean that my hair was going to slowly turn to straw and fall out of my head. Drama aside, we all know that your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. I have tried other custom beauty products and just found that they kind of make my hair worse, but 
ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair, yes, but beyond that too. I feel like I don't have to blow dry my hair anymore in order for it to look good because it's stronger, fuller, softer, and just looks nicer. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. My custom shampoo and conditioner, for example, were formulated to improve the smoothness and volume of my hair. And I really see, after months of using my custom formula and tweaking it with the review and refine tool for this season, that I have nice-looking hair all year long. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So go get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. No great house. Welcome to Pantsu Politics. Probably one of the greatest days of my life. Right oh, here. stop. Well, I was going to introduce no, you. I'm not even joking. <laughs> but this is silly. Why don't you just introduce yourself? You're here. You can oh, introduce yourself. I'm here. I'm an adult. I can do this. Uh, my <laughs> name is Neil. Uh, I am, uh, I'm a director. I'm a filmmaker. I also am a diabetes educator. And uh, I've had type 1 diabetes for 31 years. Make wow. some educational videos every single day on social media. Under the account The Beaties. That's how I found you. My husband loves your account. The Beaties. Yes. No collaboration crossover with Beats by Dre. It's a missed opportunity. <laughs> it's a swing and a miss, and I, I realize <laughs> that now. <laughs> um, I invited you on Pantsy Politics on this very special diabetes-themed episode because this is often the case that I have found as a parent of a type 1 diabetic. Diabetes is just a window to so much insight. Like, often I'll be talking about just something, like, spiritual, and I'll be like, you know what? Diabetes is an excellent metaphor for this. Let me tell you about basal insulin and bolus insulin <laughs> yes. and how we have to maintain our foundations before right. we can take on big challenges. Yep. And you did a series really about the cost of insulin that I want to talk about, but it was excellent insight into the healthcare industry overall. Like, it right. just was a great window into how this, how these industries Function. So tell us how you started making this series and what you learned in this particular social media series about the price of insulin. I spent about three and a half months just researching before I posted any of it because so many people think that the insulin pricing problem is all connected to the manufacturers. And at some point, I just wanted to go, okay, is that true? Because if it is, I'm going to make some phone calls or maybe I can drive over there and talk to somebody. Like that's genuinely <laughs> myself to something. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Like and they don't need any more of that. And that's when I started realizing after talking to about the fifth or sixth advocate that has gone to Washington, after watching a lot of these congressional hearings, these Senate subcommittees, you realize, okay, this thing is so much more convoluted and corrupt than I thought it was. And, and that's, that's what this unfolded into. So it turned into about 23 pages of notes. But after all of that was done, I realized I cannot expect anybody to sit here and listen to all this. So I broke it down into 60 second, 90 second. Here's what the pharmacies are doing. Here's what the manufacturers are doing. Here's what the PBMs are doing. And that is where it really started to get clear is that this is such a 
it's a winding road, but everybody is dipping into that pot. So PBM is pharmacy benefit manager, right? Pharmacy benefit managers. Did you know anything about those before you started this process? No, I knew I'd heard of PBM, but didn't know what that meant and didn't know what they did. Had no idea. I thought you go get a prescription for insulin and it comes from the manufacturer and it doesn't. It has to go through a PBM. It has to go through a wholesaler. It has to go through a holding facility at some point. And you have pharmacies are taking their cut. The insurance companies are taking their cut. And then PBMs are after the manufacturers. So they sit in between the insurance companies and the manufacturers. You go, why do you need all of that? Well, if you want to get your insulin or your prescription of any kind to be on a formulary, which means it's available through your healthcare provider, then you have to go through a PBM. They are the gatekeepers. And so what you do is you end up, you have to pay them off. Yeah. If you don't take care of them, if they don't get a kickback, if they don't get a cut or a percentage of that, they will take your drug off of their formulary, meaning you can't go there and get it and and you're you're out of you're out of the game. So that's the key. You have to be on the formulary. I remember reading a piece, probably gosh, I think it was before COVID, about monopolies. Hmm. In this piece, they were explaining PBMs. You did a better job. I fully comprehend it now. Just okay. it was the whiteboard. I don't know the visuals, okay. but um, and remember thinking, "Oh, you've got to be kidding me!" And I think you know you're talking about them right now as if they're separate from the pharmacy and the insurance company. But I learned through your video that they are not. They're so not. So why is that relevant to? Oh, I don't know monopolies. Right. This is interesting because it's an oligopoly. These three main insulin manufacturers are they they account for ninety six percent of the world's insulin which that kind of blows your mind. You're like, for real? In order to go to the pharmacy, you think, all right, I've got to go through this. The PBMs own or are owned by the healthcare providers, and they also own the pharmacies. So CVS is the, the PBM. They are the pharmacy, and they also are owned by a healthcare provider. Well, Anthem, because when you said that on your piece, I was like, yeah. oh, no wonder everything has gone so smoothly for us. We have Anthem insurance and we yep. go to CVS. Yeah, because it's all connected. And if you yep. do that, you're like, okay, this is great. But there are so many kickbacks. There are so many add-ons. Or, well, hey, we'll give you this coupon for this or we'll give you this discount for this. Who's getting any of that money? It's all going back to the same company. So they're all owned by the exact same company and they're not regulated. They are behind a black curtain the United States government does not know and they cannot do investigations on the exchange of money and the contract deals that are going on. It is not regulated. There are lobbyists that spend $20 billion a year to make sure that it stays this way inside of our healthcare system and inside of our government. You see the manufacturers raising the price of insulin, but you also hear them saying, we're making less money. Both of those are true because that right. money is going to the PBM. Right. Yeah. They're raising the price, making less money because the PBM takes their cut. So here's how, this, is, this will prove to you that the, the PBMs are the problem in all of this. The manufacturers make money if they sold the same vial of insulin for $35. And here's why. 
because you could go to Mexico and Canada and buy the exact same drug that costs right now, costs me, if I go to Kroger or Walmart right now, costs $380 for one vial. If I go to Canada or Mexico right now, it's $35 and the manufacturer is still profiting at that price. So everything else in between there is a markup. It's insane. That was my first question when you said they manufacture like 96% of the world's insulin. So what does this look like in Britain or Canada? They also don't have the same health care coverage that we do. Obviously. So the healthcare system is not inside. So like you go to Australia and they get this medicine nearly for free. Mm. Same thing with some insulin pumps. Now it takes them longer to get insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors and things like that through a, through a durable medical equipment. It takes them longer to get it available, but once it is, it is nearly free for the public. Well, and that's... What I thought when you said that, because you get to a, a later part in the series where you talk about Medicaid Part D, which it's not equivalent, but it's important because, I mean, when you're talking about Canada or the UK or Australia, there's one main buyer. It's the government. And right. our government is a buyer and it's a huge buyer. And so changes to that matter. So is there any movement within that? Or I know you watch a lot of congressional <laughs> hearings to get this PBM situation under control. So not necessarily. So when they said, and they made this law uh, as of last year, that the United States government can now uh, negotiate on behalf of Medicaid so that then they, they never had that purchasing power before. Now that they do, the average is Well, they did. Years. They just didn't want to exercise it. There it is. <laughs> Legally. There it is. <laughs> yeah, they always had the ability to do that. Now right. they're exercising that. And so it usually takes four years before the general public see those discounts. So th if they're the largest purchasing agent that is out there, their ability to negotiate with those manufacturers is going to drive that price down. It has to. Right. Well, then we saw those changes, and then you see the manufacturers coming and dropping the prices. Now, you made this series before they dropped. Oh, it was right It was right in the middle of it. So they dropped okay. it as I finished the next-to-last video. Oh, my I was gosh. Like, Are you watching this? I know they're not. That is, they're definitely not. <laughs> they might be. You don't know. So what's, what's interesting is a lot of people uh, – I don't know if you saw it when Twitter – when they can make all those new accounts. I don't know if you saw it, but Eli Lilly had somebody make a fake account. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They posted that Insulin Now is free. And it looked like a verified Twitter account. And the, the internet did what the internet does, and it went off. And I absolutely loved yep. it. So yes, there was now all of a sudden pressure. But here's what's happened is all these main three manufacturers have said, hey, we now have insulin that we're going to cap at $35 copay. So they're still going to make their money. That's only a copay. That's not what you're actually, someone's actually paying for it. But what they're actually doing is they're offering that on a generic version of their drug, not a biosimilar so they're not giving you the insulin that you could use in an insulin pump because your insulin pump won't take a generic insulin because it only a generic really has to be it's it's in the 60s it's 60% effective of what the original is so they're making this generic version available it's all optics they're saying, well, now, hey, we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to take one for the team. We're going to give it to you guys at this discount. Are you really, though? No. They're doing it on a generic that they don't have to have the patent on there while holding on to the patents that they have over here. And then, and then what's even crazy is to continue to further the patent on the actual insulin that they have, they've changed the delivery method, which is why insulin pens have come out. So it's not a vial and a syringe now. They get another 20 to 40 years on that patent just by changing it 
to be available in an insulin pen. Drug hasn't changed at all. Well, that was another part that I thought was so interesting and wildly relevant outside the diabetes community is the practice of evergreening, which is sort yeah. of what you're describing. Tell tell us yes. what that means. So this is the last process where manufacturers, they, they try and keep their old patents. And what they do is they extend the lifespan of those patents by basically producing or changing or modifying it by such a small percentage that it's not really changing it at all. It's not done to improve health. It's not done to improve the drug. It's done to, to make sure that the patent they hold on their drug is good for 20, 40, 60 years to keep that, that monopoly pricing period going. The demand is fixed. Supply is unlimited. They can make as much of this as they want. But the, the average cost to make a vial of insulin right now in 2023 is around $7. It's a 3,006% markup on insulin. It's the third most expensive liquid on planet Earth mm. right now. Just crazy. Crazy. And I think it just speaks to sort of the industry practices and the industry priorities. You talk about a, a nonprofit company that's entered the field, and I think that gets to it. I mean, their job isn't to improve health. Their job isn't to expand research or innovation. They're legally obligated to turn a profit for their shareholders. That is their job. Yep. Yeah, that's it. And they're, and they're doing it. So are you encouraged by the entrance of these companies or like California coming on and saying we're going to produce insulin? I'm encouraged because it will be available to someone. Mm. So the amount of people that use an insulin pump is, is minimal compared to people that take injections, that yeah. take a generic insulin. So for the majority of people, especially underserved, underprivileged areas, this is huge. So what I have to do is I have to look at it and go, okay, a win for someone else, I still have to count it as a win for all of us, even if it doesn't yes. affect me directly. So that's my view of it. Is it good? It's good for everybody, but it doesn't help people that, you know, the small percentage that are on an insulin pump that are wearing a CGM. And I think, okay, that's, I, I feel fairly privileged to have the technology that I have, mm -hmm. that I have anyways right now. Yes, California is doing something amazing. Mark Cuban is doing something absolutely amazing by creating competition. That's yeah. really what they're doing. Do we need more insulin? No, it's in a warehouse right now from all the big three. We don't need more insulin. We do need more competition and more pressure, which I believe is a good thing, I think. Well, and I think that's true, again, of the entire pharmaceutical industry. Like, I think diabetes is often that insight that I was talking about or that sort of way to see things more clearly because it's a huge problem, but it's also a stable problem. You know, like we understand, we understand who has it. You know, there's that statistic, like 95% of people who have diabetes don't know if they have it. Right. Um, I think that's mainly type two, but I think that just the stability of our understanding, like we've had insulin for over a hundred years. Yeah. There's new innovations and there's new pumps, but I just think that there's a certain, like I said, like stability around diabetes and the community and our, the drugs and the understanding that allow you to see these bigger systems functioning around it more clearly. Yes. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. That's, that's why some of these companies that are definitely still making a profit, making insulin is one thing. To have Civica RX, a nonprofit company, start making their own insulin, you just know the clock is ticking on some of these mm -hmm. larger corporations. It's just a matter of time. But th okay, the real cash cow is not insulin, not for these manufacturers. It's in type 2 diabetes medicines. Oh, I believe that. 
it is in the Ozempics, the Wigovis, the Manjaros, that hits more of an audience, people that don't have diabetes that just need to lose weight. It is an added mm -hmm. benefit of it. So really what is happening is the markups and the increases on insulin were really just a way to pay for the research to make type 2 diabetes medicines, which will be their main source of income oh, yeah. over the years. Well, right now they're trying to turn it into a pill. I just read that oh, today. Like yep. the headlines right now are like trying to yep. make the Ozempics pill yes. form instead of shots. And look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against it. We're in it. We're yeah, in it together. We're in less it. suffering, we're in it. less. And yes. I think the all the the stuff about Ozempic and how it quiets people's sort of internal chatter around food or how it reduces other addictions, they find themselves like online shopping less. Like yes. whoa. Like yeah, whoa. wild. <laughs> whoa. What is but going on? <laughs> I wonder how you feel about, you know, what I tell people now is diabetes, type 1, and I would assume type 2, is such an insight into not just the pharmaceutical industry, but our food industry. Mm. Like, my husband and I were talking about the other day, we were talking about the calories in a large blizzard. Do you right. know how many calories? I, I can't even imagine. Blizzard? It has to have at least four numbers, maybe yeah, five. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like 20, I think it's over 2,000, 1,800, somewhere oh like that. And it's gosh. over the daily allowance. And I said, that should be illegal. Right. Like, it really should. You should not be able to serve someone yeah, that's a lot. that. That's poison. You know, yeah. like, and I, like what I've told people, I'm like, if you could see what your blood sugar does on a soda, you'd never drink one again. Right. Like, right. you just, we take our pancreases for granted, you Those guys. things are hustling. Those They're pancreases. Hustling. Yeah, they are. They are. And like, and you see like with type two diabetes and, you know, how common it is, how we're wearing them out. And, and it's, it's not our individual failings. It is a nope. system that I just think we know what this product does in our bodies. We know what it does to our blood sugar. We know what exposure, like elevated blood sugars over time does. And we still just, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. So I have, I have two friends of mine. Uh, one of them, he has no, no, you know, affiliation with diabetes. He's a CrossFitter. He eats extremely clean, extremely healthy, works out more than any of us should. And another guy, his daughter has type one and they're both wearing a CGM right now. One of them wow. for performance, one of them yep. to see what his daughter goes through. And yep. the ups and downs that they have is so shocking to them. They're like, Neil, I thought that this was going to be more of a flat line. I'm like, no, everything you eat affects yep. you. Yours just doesn't go as high as mine does. I've got no way to bring it down on my own. You have these spikes in these valleys, but the things that we are eating are absolutely affecting us. Stress doesn't have as much of an effect as what we eat. The yep. exercise, the other things that we do, they can all help. But at the end of the day, the one thing that we can really control is what we eat. But the problem is the products the amount, the quantities yep. that we are being uh, given, it's a lot. Well, and I tell people, you know, not to brag, and if you don't have, an, if you don't even know what A1C is, it won't be exciting to you. But I have a four point nine A1C. I'm very proud of my A1C. Good for you, yeah. For forty one years old, that's amazing. And I tell people, I'm like, you know why? Because I just don't drink sugar. I love sugar. Yeah. I chew it. I don't yep. drink it. Yeah. Like if we can just get away from that. Yep. The the breaks are we could I think we would hear our pancreas sigh in relief across the country. They're stressed <laughs> just out drinking it. Yes, yeah, our yeah. pancreas is producing so much more than just insulin. It produces six other hormones. One that tells our stomach when it's full and when to empty. That mm -hmm. pancreas is tired. It's tired. doing too much. Well, which makes sense that the weight loss drugs. 
If, yes. I, if you're insulin resistant, then you're yes. also not getting the message yep. that you're full and for your stomach to it's empty. All, it's all connected. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I just think, you know, I've learned so much about, you know, people think it's just sugar. So there's a lot. The first thing is, well, can you have sugar-free? No, because it's not about sugar. It's about carbs. Right. And sugar-free stuff often has a lot of carbs in it. It really does. And then the other thing I think that was like one of the most powerful things I learned was, you know, it's not just carbs. It's a fat and protein rise. So if we eat something that's high in fat and protein, like a pizza, for example, (laughs) um, then we get a rise like two hours later. And when a diabetes educator finally explained to me like, well, look, that's a huge stress on your body. Those triglycerides and that inflammation from the high fat and the high protein eat into your basal, which is your, like, sort of foundation of insulin. Right. And so the bolus you gave for the food goes to make up for the basal, and then there's not enough bolus to last out the meal. And I was like, oh, my God. So every time I'm eating like this, I'm stressing my body out. It takes so much more insulin, not because of the carbs, not because of the sugars. Yes, because of that, but also because the fat and protein together— it's yep. just so hard on my body. And I mean, I yes. was like in my 40s and I like, I'm a pretty good, healthy You're eater. Smart. And I had not yeah. ever heard it that way. Right. So, pizza is for anybody the who's worst, living with type one, it is the <sighs> most difficult thing to gauge right. Most people never get it. It's like if you see somebody post about it on social media, it's because they did it well and it's like capturing a unicorn. It You're is. Like, what in the world? It's the fat, the carbs, the proteins, and they all digest at different rates. It's uh yeah it, it's 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 a lot man it's a perfect storm, and it's so brutal because it's such an easy food to eat. Again, oh, no. you know, like just order a pizza. That's what we did for our family. Like it's just a illness order a pizza, it. and now it's just diabetes has sucked all the joy out of pizza for us. <laughs> food isn't fun anymore. It's okay though, but it's like my, I always think about Michael Pollan who said like you should eat that stuff. If you make it yourself, because you won't make it yourself because it's a pain right. in the butt. Right. Like it's you wouldn't much. eat donuts that much because you got to fry them and that's a pain. It's you so eat chicken convenient wings that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Fries. If you didn't make <laughs> fries from scratch, you'd never eat them. Are you kidding me? You can have fries as much as you want as long as you make those. Make so them you're yourself. saying never, never, never is when I'm going to have those. Yeah. If you have to make the pizza and the dough and the sauce and that, like, you never do it. Forget it. And we don't have to. Now, this is also, so even what you said, you know, internationally, people don't deal with some of this stuff over in the UK. The food, the food quality in different countries is different. Now, there's, oh. I'm not saying that ours is the best or the worst, but it definitely, you know, you've got a, a very Western American diet that yep. we have, and it's not the same everywhere else. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we went abroad last summer, we were in Italy, Switzerland, and France. We were on multiple daily injections, which is hard to get oh, really good control on, especially with a kid because they're talking about teeny tiny amounts. And we still had great numbers because we were moving all the time and the food was not full of yep. high fat and sugar. Crazy. We were eating snails. Listen, oh, wow. escargot is a very diabetes friendly. <laughs> it's a lot of As protein. is beef tartare, which, both, <laughs> oh, which are gosh. both things my eight-year-old ate. He like no he oh, yeah, he ordered it more than once. He loved beef tartare, which I was like, oh, perfect, great. Go for you know, it. Beef yeah. tartare you want. We, we, can, we can do the math on this. We can do this. Well, what was the most surprising things you learned doing this series? And what do you wish everybody understood? Who most people, when they rant about insulin prices, blame the manufacturers. And that that, that is the most telling thing is that if I'm looking at it, for me, it's about 70% PBMs. 
the rest of it, the other 30% is is the manufacturers. That's the kind of the way that I, I, I weigh it out. I used to be furious. Like I can't believe, honestly, I joke around like I want to drive over there and take care of things. It's not that easy. It's mm-hmm. too insulated and it's too it's too massive. And then uh, it's not even it's not super encouraging. But a lot of the things in our federal government are not set up for success in this. It just mm-hmm. isn't going to happen quickly. It is going to take years. You got some real industry capture when it comes to this industry. Oh my gosh, yes. 2019 is when the Senate subcommittee hearings happened. We're at 2023 and we just saw at the beginning of this year is when Medicaid is now allowed to go out and negotiate. That's so long, but there's just so much money involved in it. Is there any movement to regulate PBMs? No. No, none. Maybe that's where we should start. Maybe we should all write our congressional representatives and say. So I, I don't know if this is going to uh, shock you or not. I wrote every single one of my state representatives, everyone, not even in my district, not in my area. I wrote Amazing. all of them. Do you know how many contacted me back? How many? One. Zero. One. I got, I got one. I'm not in wow. his district. Oh, so I couldn't man. help. <laughs> Well, we're going to depend lot. on you. If if there are some bills that you think look promising, you got to tell us here at Pantsy Politics, and we'll all write our representatives. Yeah, there are definitely some, and you know, uh, JDRF does a really good job. ADA does a really good job of advocating at the federal level. They have, you know, uh, Congress. You know, they have times when a lot of people living with type one go in different, you know, elementary age, high school age, college age, and adults go in there and they advocate on behalf of. I think those are very important to keep it in front of people. There is plenty of advocacy groups that are out there yeah. right now trying to trying to take this head on. It's just it's a it's a lot. It really is. Well, an essential part of advocacy is education. So thank you for all the work you do on the BDs. Really appreciate it here at Pansy Politics. I uh, I loved every second of it. Thanks. And thanks for coming on our show. This is like I said, dream come true right here. Aww, this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, a fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. 
The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. An extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing, I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Welcome to Pantsu Politics. Sarah, it is amazing to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. So my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 2006 when he was 23 months old, which is a circus unto itself, a toddler with type 1. But he's 18, super independent. Um, you know, you tell these kids they can do anything and the unfortunate part is they believe you and then they <laughs> want to leave home and do all this stuff. So true. <laughs> He's doing great. But I'm the host of Diabetes Connections, which is a long running podcast for people who use insulin, people with type 1 and, and other types of diabetes who use insulin. And I am also the host of Mom's Night Out events and the author of the world's worst diabetes mom books. Great title. Now, just so we know, like the people here are thinking, Wow, she's an amazing voice for podcasting. This was a really interesting alignment of events in her life. What did you do before your son was diagnosed with diabetes? Yeah, I was a TV reporter and a radio show host for a long time. But, you know, you, when your kids hit middle school, that getting up at 3 a.m. thing Oof. is really, really rough. So we made a big switch. And um, I have a daughter as well who's a couple years older than my son. And boy, it's it's been great. So yeah, thanks voice for podcasting. Yes, yeah, she really does. It's such a beautiful voice. I've never been a TV news reporter, but I feel confident this is a better gig. Uh, you know what? You need less lipstick. I don't mm. wear my hair. I love that part. I love it. Now, I invited you on because as people just heard with my conversation with No Great House, I think diabetes is such an interesting insight into like the, the way the community functions, the way the disease functions, how you kind of handle the disease, just even how it what is happening in your body is such an interesting insight and metaphor for so many other things in American <laughs> life. And I was so interested to talk to you because when we talk about being in the diabetes community, especially like parenting type one kids, all these things we say about like bipartisanship and civic dialogue are true, which is it helps to have a common goal right? It has to have something that unites you that you're working toward. Obviously true if you're talking about parents of type 1 diabetic children, for sure. And also, you know, what I say all the time on Pansy Politics is, you know, the thing that unites us is we all want better for our kids, right? 
No matter how far apart your politics are, we should all want better for our kids. And yet, even before I reached out to you, I had I felt pretty confident saying that the, that is not enough. And I bet politics bubbles up inside this community in really interesting ways, despite all these uniting factors. Oh, without a doubt, you know, it's you, when we were talking offline about this issue, it really made me think, you know, diabetes unites a very large group of diverse people, right? Yes. I'm sure since your son was diagnosed, you have crossed paths with people perhaps you would never have met. You know, it does not discriminate in terms of income level or any kind of racial or ethnic we can get into in terms of the actual discrimination that then happens. But diabetes itself, right? It, it's everywhere. And you're not issued an, a, a new political affiliation at your kid's hospital stay, right? You don't leave with a CGM and a stamp on a new voter card. You you come in with your belief system and everything you think, and you you leave perhaps looking at different issues, mm -hmm. but you may not look at them in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a mistake that a lot of people, perhaps in politics outside of diabetes, right, think that there is a monolithic voting block now. All parents of kids with type 1 feel this way. All adults with type 1 feel this way. And, and they don't. Um, I, I run a very large group in the Charlotte, North Carolina area where I live for parents of kids with type 1. It's a Facebook group, but we try to get together. And I had to put a rule in, in 2020, you know, about politics and politicking. I had to yeah. be very specific in what I was talking about. And that was the first time, even though we'd had, we'd had issues in the past. I was going to say, really I'm surprised time. you made it through 2016. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, 20, it's so hard to remember now, but 2016 was, was different. Um, in, in terms of, at least for, for my groups, in terms of the social media, the way social media pushed things out, that, you know, the, in, the enragement, engagement kind of thing, it was there, but not in the same way that the last five years, I'd say, have really yeah. shown up. No, it definitely pumped it up. Well, and I just think it's so interesting to watch because diabetes doesn't discriminate and sort of public policy around diabetes doesn't discriminate, right? At one point, you might have a politician who you loathe in every other situation who is doing something and you're like, well, dang it. I might have to say something <laughs> nice about them. Or you might have a politician who you usually support, who is not supporting a policy you knew would make a huge difference in the type 1 diabetes community. It happens all the time. It happened a couple of days ago, right? Uh, Ron DeSantis signed into law a bill expanding eligibility for CGM for all people in Florida who are on Medicaid with diabetes who use insulin. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of people who may not support him in the diabetes community look at that and say, great, thank you. That was a good, that's a good thing. And CGM, continuous glucose monitor, is a way to measure, go a little technical, interstitial fluid, the fluid mm -hmm. under your skin. So you don't have to poke your finger. You it's just put changer. the CGM in your arm. It's a game-changing game technology. It is absolutely incredible. And, and you know, there's a school of thought. I subscribe to it that if you're using insulin, you should have access to a CGM. So that's a great thing. And you do see posts and people say like, oh, I hate him, but he did this good thing. But there are people who somehow kind of twist themselves into knots to, to find a way that says, well, he didn't really, or there's other mm. things. It's amazing how I mean, that happens on both sides, right? On all yeah. sides. Where we cannot divorce ourselves from our political jersey to say even with something that is a meaningful change to our family that, you know, I still hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so, I think, unfortunate is we have really 
accelerated or I don't know if we ever were making like cool headed policy assessments when it came to our politics. Probably not. But it just feels like we really leaned in in the last few years where it's like, I don't care. Like you can't do anything right. You are irredeemable yeah. um, as a politician to me. And I really do think diabetes and like being a part of this community, and this can happen with lots of sort of identity driven experiences. It can feel that it can feel this sense of like, you've crossed me on this thing that is so inherent to who I am. I cannot, I cannot look at anything else. Um, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I just think diabetes and because of because it is a health condition and because the healthcare industry, those policies matter in like a day-to-day impactful way that is difficult to ignore. I think that just plays out a little differently. It does. And it's it's interesting too, because you know, our healthcare system is so complex and it's so hard to navigate with or without diabetes, mm-hmm. that the complexity lends itself to misinformation, to kind of, I don't want to say bearing the truth, but, you know, it's so hard to get at what really happened. I mean, you look at the price of insulin and how convoluted and complicated and the PBMs and everything else, whoever you want to support or whoever you want to hate, you can make a case for it yeah. because of those complexities. You know, uh, it's it, you know this person didn't go far enough. This person went too far. That's not a cap. That's a copay cap. That's not a, a legislative action. You know, that's encouragement. And you know, as you and I are talking, there is a, a cap for people on Medicare for insulin prices. But the the lowering of the price that we saw from all the three big insulin makers that's voluntary. They could reverse yeah. that at any time. Yeah. So it's easy to with that complexity. That's what it, you know. My local group when I talk to moms a lot, we're just trying to. Or so what the heck happened? Like, who should yeah. we support? Right. Just getting through the the intricacies of the policy itself. And that's why the community support is important and also confusing. If you have six people saying six <laughs> different things about how we should feel around this policy, that right. tells you how complex it is right there. Yeah. Well, I also, as we're talking, realize your work in particular intersects with the complexities of politics and our partisan identities. It also, obviously the title of your book, The Worst Diabetes Mom, like it intersects with parenting, which is another oh place, I think, where we tell ourselves one thing and then the the complex realities of being a parent or our children's existence come into play. When you When you wrote that book and you titled it that, what were you trying to help people understand? Like, what did diabetes teach you about parenting? Boy. It probably continues <laughs> to teach you. Yeah, it really does. I mean, my kids are 18 and 21 and there is no finish line in mm. parenting. I don't know what I was thinking, but I kind of thought like, you know, there's no medal. You're not running across that ribbon. But I I kind of thought at some point I would be done, which sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud. <laughs> because I'm helping parent my kids in different ways now, right? Especially yeah. my son with diabetes is very independent, but I'm still helping him in new ways. And the book was kind of an answer to a shift I'd felt in the community. You know, I started in diabetes in 2006, which predates the iPhone, which sounds like ancient history now, but it really predates social media. It predates continuous glucose monitoring. And while I really am so thankful for all of the technology, you know, my son uses an automated insulin delivery system with a pump and a CGM that talk to each other like your son does. It's it's just amazing. And I never want to give that stuff back. But when you can see all the information, and that's what happens with these systems, every five minutes or every minute with some systems. As a parent, your impulse is, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to, mm. I'm going to do right by my kid. I'm going to do the best I can. And it's impossible. 
it is impossible to be perfect as a parent with or without diabetes. Why, why would we think it would be possible? So the book was a direct response to a free-flowing conversation I was having on the internet, like somebody in Facebook saying, like, I think we were talking about overnight blood sugar checks before CGM. And I was not doing the same thing that this other parent was doing. And they were furious at me. And they, they really did call me, you know, horrible names and everything else. And I said, well, I must be the world's worst diabetes mom. And that's when I just walked away from the conversation. But I thought, you know what? If I'm the worst, my kid's doing great. Yeah. You know, he's doing fine. Maybe I should share that story. And as I did, and I shared all of our mistakes, because I don't know about you, but we make mistakes every week, every day with diabetes. And those mistakes are how I learned. And those mistakes made us laugh. They made us stronger. And so those are what the books are all about. Well, that makes me cry because I've had a terrible diabetes morning. So it feels good to hear somebody say that, even though I know that, even though I've read your book. Um, it just, again, proves my point. <laughs> diabetes is an excellent metaphor because that's not the only place that that transformation in parenting was happening, where all of a sudden we were getting flooded with advice and expectations and advice when it came to parenting. But it's like, if you think you're stressed and burned out from the standard around like sort of normal everyday parenting, add on the possibility that your child could die. Like, just take that, <laughs> dial it all the way up to 11 because you do get in this space where you're like, I even think about, <laughs> I think about all the time the fact that my favorite movie of all time is Still by No Use and that it defines so many of my ideas about parenting and that now here I am, stupid Malin, parenting a child with diabetes. Now, I mean, and look, I, you know, I think that movie did a real public service, on, not just about organ donation, but also just like I can tell people, you know, that scene in Still Magnolias, that's what it is. That's what it's like. He could get a little wobbly, like just like telling people like, that's what a low looks like. It is dangerous. They need sugar. It's an easy fix. Like, but also it's just like, shoot, that's like the water I was swimming in. And then my dang kid got diagnosed with diabetes. And it's just, it is, it's so intense because I mean, again, you tell yourself in regular parenting, just psychologically, if I do this, I'll screw them up. I'll do this, I'll screw them up. You know, like it's just the pressure is so, so high. Yeah. And I, I love steel magnolias. Oh, I know it's not popular in the diabetes community. It's, well, a lot of people, a lot of people don't like it because a lot of people were blindsided by it. When you think about, I have a friend who saw it as a young, like a young adult or a teenager and they didn't, she had lived with diabetes and her mom was like, let's watch this, you know, back in the day. No idea. No idea. So it's really, I know. But when you watch that movie again, if you do, Sarah, watch the, the young woman with diabetes has no community. There is nobody else around her with type 1. There's no camp, right? There's no friend. There's nobody to help her navigate that world. And I think while we've had lots of amazing breakthroughs with diabetes, there and I'm going to sound really hokey now, but there really is no substitute for that community. So and I think her life would have been so much different. And it's based on a real story. Yeah, it's a it true story. It would have been the so much different. The screenplay. Yeah, you yeah. also never but see when, her actually treat her diabetes. Like you never see a shot. You That's probably for the best. Movies and TV are so bad at that. I'm just like <laughs> kind of thankful, right? They're ah! not saying like, I'm low. I need insulin. Oh my God. No, 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 it's no. The no. Opposite. It's the opposite. But Don't you also mentioned that. parenting pressure. You know, the one example I like to give is you can feel bad about how you pack your kid's lunch. You could have the most nutritious food in the world without diabetes, but you can, you can look online 
and see these amazing like yes. bento boxes and little notes and fancy cutouts. And, you know, I'm slapping together a sandwich, a yogurt, a carrot, and Cheetos or whatever, right? I'm throwing yeah. lunch together every day when they were little. And when you add diabetes pressure on top of that, yeah. it's not so much the outcomes because these kids are healthy, knock on wood. You know, the technology and the knowledge, if you have access and education, you know, it, it's so much easier in some ways. The, the mental load is still there. But I'm thinking about just the pressure on the parent mm -hmm. to think about, am I doing this lunch right? Am I doing this lunch right? Yes, you are. But you feel it every day day. You feel like you're failing them when you give them the stupid lunchbox. Yeah. I mean, the internet is there to flood you with information about how you could be doing it better. Really on yeah. everything. But yeah, particularly on everything. Therapy. Yeah. But when you get that feedback, when you get numbers in your face every five minutes, it codifies that feedback in a way that I think it makes us have to stop and say, I can never be perfect at this. I'm going to be safe and happy. My kid's going to be safe and happy. And that is enough. And you have to repeat it because 16 years in, I really do feel like the worst. I really wonder sometimes, mm -hmm. did I give him too much independence? Is he going to be? He went to Israel when he was 16 for a month with a camp program, like a non-diabetes camp program, and managed great. But do I still worry? Do I? Of course, of course. You never stop. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's so hard because that feeling of, am I doing it? right? Am I failing? You know, I, I use some of the tools I used before diabetes, which is that history. Like I think, listen, Sonia Sotomayor sits on the Supreme Court and they were like boiling her freaking needles to use them again. <laughs> they didn't know what she could have been sitting at 500 every night for hours for most of her childhood. That's just the reality. Like it's just, they wouldn't have known. Like, yeah. so who knows? And the look best at all thing, these long-lived type 1 diabetics without any of this technology. And I have to remind myself of that constantly, which is a thing, I, you know, I, I use another parent team. Like, I'm not trying hard enough, but also I'm doing a hell of a lot better than past generations. And that's really all you can do. I mean, and I and some of those folks will tell you they feel like the technology puts an added burden mm -hmm. on the parents. Now, you can't help it, right? You do want better outcomes, so you want to use that and you want to find ways to, to be great with your kids. But I love talking to adults with type 1 because they will set you straight. They will. They will. They'll be like, I was at 300 yesterday. Calm down. I'm like, okay, thank you. I feel better now. Well, and to circle back to the political point we started with, it's the same thing. There's too much pressure. We think we can perfect it. That's, you know, I, I'm a Democrat. I'm a progressive. This is about a secret. Um, <laughs> and I think what I see the most when I talk to my super progressive oldest child is this sense that like there is a destination we can get to. If they just give us the reins and get out of our way, we'd get there and everything would be perfect. And it's not true. And it's also torturous. Like it is, yeah. I can see the way I felt like that for like most of my twenties. And I was mad all the time. I was just mad all the time, mad at them, mad at the country, mad, 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 because I thought perfection was achievable in politics if the people on the other side would just get out of my way. And I do think situations with when we acknowledge their complexity, and that's what I think what happens when you have a family member with diabetes. Like you just, you cannot avoid the complexities anymore. You cannot create a narrative based on your own experiences and emotions. Like it's not that those go mute, but there's just this very concrete sort of data entry point that doesn't go away. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand too that, and I'll be transparent, I'm a registered independent. I always have been. Part of that has to do with journalism, you know, but I think it's really important to understand that every policy 
as you well know, impacts people in slightly different ways. And I think in the diabetes community, if we stop listening, you know, I've seen people who do not believe that some people were impacted a certain way by Obamacare. Obamacare helped so many people with diabetes because it lifted people up into insurance where they couldn't get insurance before, right? Pre-existing conditions. Oh my it God. I don't even people- know. How did the, I have, when I think back <laughs> at like when we had pre-existing conditions and type 1 diabetes, yes. like I just, yes. I can't, I can't, I can't. But, but it hurts some people who now wound up paying for more because of the way their insurance plan was restructured. Mm. And I've seen some of those voices not, not be listened to, feel like they weren't valid. And I feel like you can't check politics at the door. I mean, let's not be completely naive. But in the community like this, we have to listen to each other and we have to help each other. I mean, I'll tell you, and I might get in trouble for making this public, but one of the things that I do in my local group is, you know, we help each other out with supplies. It's not just insulin. If things cost more and they do on different insurance plans, right? High deductible, blah, 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 marketplace. I don't even know. I'll get in my, I used to joke, I get in my minivan and here we are in the gray market and we're trading supplies and we're going places and we're helping people. I don't care what your political affiliation is Mm -hmm. in that point. We need each other. And I feel like it's a little kumbaya and I apologize for that. But, you know, the diabetes community has taught me that listening to other people and understanding that politics can be different. If I don't help this person now, right, that's when they need the help is now. It, the help may not be there from the government or from their doctor or from their clinic. So it, it's a real lesson in, in immediacy and listening to other people. Um, and I, I don't drive a minivan anymore, but I'm still willing to get in my car. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, too. Back to this horse, I just keep beating this around. Like, <laughs> I think diabetes makes something explicit that is true, but that is hard to acknowledge outside of a chronic condition like this, which is that everyone's dealing with hardship. Oh my gosh. Hardship just, you know, there is a, there are different levels of hardship. And I think diabetes just makes it so black and white, you know, and, and really makes like concrete and all these things we're talking about, the complexity, the hardships that people face in their everyday life, the reality that like no one has a monopoly on being right, that you can't reach perfect, that you can't control everything, like all these things that we, we say we know. <laughs> we say we believe, but then something like this comes along and is like, okay, we're about to put the rubber to the road on whether you believe all this. Like, I'll never forget one time I was listening to Shauna Nyquist on Oprah Super Soul Sunday. And she was like, you know, God doesn't love us less if we stumble. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was just nodding along. I was like, amen, Shauna, you tell him. And then she was like, and he doesn't love us more if we get it all right. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, don't say that loud. Don't do that, Shauna. That's not cool. You could have kept that part quiet. That's the part I really believe deep down that I didn't need somebody to call me to the mat on. But diabetes will call you to the mat on that. It'll do it every day, day. if not on an hourly basis. You hear those Dexcom alarms and you're like, what? What am I doing? (laughs) Why do you hate me? Well, and it's just, you know, when Felix was first diagnosed, I formulated this this theory or put words to something that I think I'd had a theory on for a long time. I had a friend from high school who is a is a kind man, but he was like, what'd you do? Give him so much sugar? And I was like, mm, bless. And I wasn't mad at him because I know that he is not a hateful person. But I told Nicholas, I was like, the next person who says that to me, and, and nobody has, full disclosure. I said, the next person that says to me, I'm going to just say, nope, it's the chaos lottery. You could be next. <laughs> 
Like it's just a chaos lottery, man. Like it's just what we're dealing with. And diabetes will show you that, especially type one. Yeah. No, that's a great point. The chaos lottery. The chaos lottery, man. man. I feel like we've been in that for years. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. It really, you know, an autoimmune disease, anybody can get it. And, you know, I, I, I heard that quite a bit because my son was not yet two when he was diagnosed. So people could not puzzle how a child that tiny could have any type of diabetes. So we heard that a lot. And, you know, it took me a long time. It's funny to not just be defensive and say like, that's type two. He didn't do it because type two now we know is so much more complex than that too, yep. right? No diabetes is caused by eating too much sugar. You know, I look at a little soapboxy, like no one with any kind of diabetes wants or deserves it. No. So how you handle those questions when you're in the thick of the chaos at the beginning is a little different, I think, than how you handle them down the road. But yeah, I heard, oh, we could have an offline conversation about all the stuff I've heard with a two But you know what's underneath that? Here's what's underneath when people were saying that to you because your child was so young. It's because we think you do something to deserve it. And that means I can avoid it. I can avoid it. Exactly. confront that when it's a little tiny baby that doesn't compute. And then people are like, "Mm, but I thought kind of deep down you did something to deserve it. And that means I can avoid it. Too many fruit snacks. But he's under two. And so he didn't do anything because he's a baby. Oh no, what does this mean? You know, like they just, it's like, you can see the sort of, Circuitry yeah, misfiring. Yeah. yeah. What what can I do to avoid being you? Yes. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh. Exactly. That's why I'm like, it's a chaos lottery. You can't, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Well, and that's the other thing that's like, again, it's a, it's a perfect sort of illustration for what we face otherwise, which is you also get the, I could never handle it, which I also find very upsetting. Like, yeah. I don't want to hear how amazing we are. I'm really not interested in that. I can't even explain to you why. That should be something like you want to hear. Oh, you're, oh my God, you're such amazing parents. I'll tell you, I think why I don't like hearing it is because I don't want you to tell me that I'm amazing. I want you to figure out how to help me. Yes. I want more training in daycare. I want more training in schools. I want more help. I want more access. I want better stuff. By telling me I'm amazing, it says, well, you've got this. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, and I resent that. I I'm okay if my friend tells me I'm amazing. Well, yes, I am. Um, but if if the general public, if that, and that's what we tell all special needs moms, and that's what we tell a lot of other. And we okay. are special needs moms, even though diabetes is you know not very visible in many mm-hmm. ways. I, I feel like that's almost a way to kind of get around all of the better access and education that really is needed and can certainly happen with diabetes. It's so true. It's so true. Yes, I think you're exactly right. Like it does feel like. But you're on your own because right. we could never. So you better do it all by yourself. Right. And look yeah. how good you're doing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and, you know, we had a little bit of experience because Felix had another disability. Like he has hemoplegia. Mm. And so I was already sort of used to that undercurrent. You know, diabetes and hemoplegia are very, very, very different. There's no like sort of day-to-day management with hemoplegia in the way that there is with diabetes. But we did have... I think the sort of only leg up, which was we didn't want to treat him as if he's a problem to be fixed, right? Like that was really important. Oh, sure. You know, and I think that's a valuable lesson and experience. You know, I take that into my other kids because they don't have an outwardly expressed physical disability, but they are different. I'm going to cry. Yeah. It does. I always think about that Temple Grandin movie where her mother over and over again looked at her and said, different, not less. Different, not less. And I think that, you know, the diabetes community 
and you know, the entire disability community has so much to teach all of us about that. Yeah. And just the fact that you acknowledge that your other kids are also different, but not less. It's so important. This whole family aspect of diabetes, right? I have a, you know, I have another child and there's, you know, there, there are so many issues because you have to give diabetes so much attention. You have no choice. And the fact that you're already involving your son's siblings in this is so important. It's, um, it is not a problem to be fixed. It is a situation that you deal with. Yep. You do your best. You move on. Sometimes it does stop you. Some, it slows you down. It stinks. But then you you go on and you figure it out. You know, my son, I'm going to cry. My son recently thanked me for not letting diabetes, you know, hold him back from the crazy stuff he wanted to do. And he does some crazy stuff. And I, <laughs> I kept thinking like, wow, I felt like it really did stop you. Like it really slowed you down. You had to do a lot of stuff to get where you went. But I can't say he didn't care as long as he got to do it because, of course, he cared. It was a pain in the ass. Yeah. But he figured out a way to do it. And I don't know. You know, we all talk about teenagers and how much they stink and everything. And it is rough. But, man, when they come back around sometimes, they're yeah. like, wow, this is a human being who said thank you. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell my fourteen year old when he, like, starts to get revved up, I'm like, can we just skip to the part in about 20 minutes where you apologize for being a yeah. jerk? Can we just skip right to that part? That'd be great. Uh, I'd like to go right ahead to that point if you don't mind. Yeah, I just think that it, again, it's clarifying. It's it's a situation that clarifies what's worth doing. Yeah. It's a crappy way to be clarified, but it does work. It's just like yeah. every difficult thing. Everything doesn't happen for a purpose, but you can learn from everything. You can Absolutely. integrate the difficult things that happen to you in your life. Um that's very sweet. I did get a shout out that he missed me at diabetes camp. I have not gotten a thank you, but he's only eight. However, Stacy, and this is fun because the next segment is going to be me talking to Felix about Camp Sweeney. My husband said, Felix, did you miss me? And ice cold, this child responded, dad, I don't think I said the word dad once while I was there. (gasps) Can you even? Yes. That's a sign of a good camp. That's what everyone says. They're like, he's not right. He means he's, and it's true. I mean, he had a blast. He didn't want to leave. But I was like, Felix, that is ice cold. That's an eight-year-old's honesty though. That's exactly (laughs) right. Diabetes camp. I, I'm so glad you're talking to him. I did a couple episodes with my son talking about diabetes camp and it's really fun and definitely preserve it because diabetes camp at eight will be very different. Like do it every year. Oh yeah. Even if you sure. don't air it, but do it in every year. Camp, because camp Sweeney, like there are a lot of teenagers there. His like camp mom, oh, yeah. that was her senior year. And she was oh. like, she'd been for 11 years in a row. Yeah. My son went for eight years, I think, to his sleepaway diabetes camp. And now he goes to a regular sleepaway yeah. camp. He's working. He's working this summer. He's a lifeguard. So he's gone for eight weeks. He's totally self-managed. Totally and self-managed. So, Put it in I my so veins. Remember. I need you to just, I'm going to record you saying that. And I'm obviously recording you saying that, but I'm going to make that my ringtone. Ah. Totally Well, self-managed. the next part of the sentence is though, I still worry. So you have yeah. to record that too, but you, right. I let him go. Hey, my grandmother's in her 80s and she tells me she worries about her kids all the time. So oh and none of them have diabetes, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you never stop. That's what, we started this by me talking about there's no finish line to parenting. So yes. the bad news is you never stop worrying. But hopefully the good news is you also never stop teaching your kids, learning from them, enjoying them. And, you know, the worry is balanced out by all that good stuff. But I do say half the time, like, why did we have them? All we do is worry. That's so true. What were we thinking? Well, I don't think that you're the world's worst diabetes mom. <laughs> Just for the record. Thank you. I just want to put that on the record here at Pains of Politics. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful. Thanks so much for talking with me. I hope you guys don't mind to time travel back with me about a year. 
I was in the process of resigning myself to the idea that part of middle age for me might mean that my hair was going to slowly turn to straw and fall out of my head. Drama aside, we all know that your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. I have tried other custom beauty products and just found that they kind of made my hair worse. But ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair, yes, but beyond that too. I feel like I don't have to blow dry my hair anymore in order for it to look good because it's stronger, fuller, softer, and just looks nicer. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. My custom shampoo and conditioner, for example, were formulated to improve the smoothness and volume of my hair. And I really see, after months of using my custom formula and tweaking it with the review and refine tool for this season, that I have nice looking hair all year long. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So go get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable traditionally the advice would be pick one but thanks to third love you can have both third love was started to take all the frustration out of bra shopping that's why they make solutions for every bra problem aka problem their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school get smoothing you know where and have straps that actually stay put Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. That's code PODCAST15. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. For Outside Politics today, I'm joined by a very special guest, a guest who just informed me he is VIP. Introduce yourself, VIP guest. Hi, I'm Felix Holland. Felix Holland, how old are you? Eight. I invited you here to talk about Camp Sweeney, where you just spent most of June. Tell us, what is Camp Sweeney? Uh, it's a diabetic camp. And where? The great state Gainesville, of- Texas. Texas, the great state of Texas. What did you think about Texas? It was hot. <laughs> it was hot. You learned about Whataburger, though. Yeah. Okay, so what is diabetes camp? What does that mean? 
And what ways is diabetes camp the same as regular summer camp, and in what ways is it different? The same is, like, you have, like, activities, and it's different because, like, they're almost all diabetics. There are some people that aren't diabetics. Tell us, what do you call those? Nannies. Nannies. Some people bring friends that don't have diabetes, and they're called nannies. And so when every kid at camp has diabetes, what does that change? I can't. I would really. think mealtimes are kind of different, right? Yeah. What's how is mealtime different? Because like like we all have to get into a thing they call the flight pattern, which was there was this very specific spot you had to sit and to prick your finger and they gave it insulin. Yeah, because they know exactly what carbs are in your meal for you because you yeah. picked out what you wanted beforehand, right? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So You learn a lot about diabetes. That's one of the code of living. Tell me what the code of living is. It's like honestly, humility, pursuit of diabetic control, respectfulness. Can't name all. And you get to be in the code of living if you achieve those things, right? Yeah, you get to be a code of living representative. Oh, I love that. I love that. So what does pursuit of diabetic control mean? It means like keeping it arranged, but also like not feeling like left out outside of camp for, for your diabetes to kind of. I like that. Tell me more about that. It's like. Do you feel left out sometimes because of your diabetes? No. No? That's good. But so it just, I think it means like integrating diabetes as a part of who you yeah, are, right? Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Did you feel like you learned a lot about that at Camp Sweeney? Yeah. What was it like to be around kids that know exactly what it's like? Um, it was just nice. Nice and normal? Yeah. Yeah. So what about Camp Sweeney is just like summer camp? Like, what were your your favorite summer camp activities you did at Camp Sweeney? Like boating and canoeing and fishing and stuff. And what was your favorite activity? Which, I got to tell you, this is not very common for summer camp. Broadcasting. Broadcasting. Making your mom and the podcaster proud. Tell us about broadcasting. It was like this thing where it was like a live thing and there were three seats for the host Mm -hmm. it was like we had segments and stuff and it was like it was like normal broadcasting but it's like a radio show yeah you played songs what was the first song you played i think it was even flow even flow by pearl jam daddy and i could listen on an app and we knew immediately who picked that song so you get to select songs to play and then you have segments where you talk about what it's like at camp sweeney yeah and I got a special shout-out, which was very funny, because you didn't write me back. Why did you never write me back? Because I was having too much fun. I was having F-U into the M-A-X. <laughs> F-U into the M-A-X. So you were there for 18 days. That's a long yeah. time to be away from home at 8 years old. Did you get homesick at all? No. No? Not even one millisecond were you like, man, I miss home. Yes. Okay, okay. But it wasn't about you. <gasps> it was about Amos. What did you miss about Amos? It was just that note. I was, like, laughing, crying. And you missed Amos because you yeah. laugh and cry with Amos a lot? Yeah. That makes me happy. Do you want to go back next year? Yes. So you want to go back. You really loved it. You really loved Camp Sweeney. What would you say to a kid your age who might be afraid to go to diabetes camp, who's nervous? What would you tell them to um, encourage them to go? It doesn't make you feel like you're, like, the only one in the whole world. You're, like, in... In a cabin with a bunch of diabetics. How does it make you feel? Good. Good? Yeah. Included? Mm-hmm. Understood? Yeah. 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 
Well, I'm really, really, really happy you had that experience and that you had so much fun at Camp Sweeney. Okay. Even though me and your dad really missed you. Yeah, you wrote a whole song. I did. I wrote a whole song to the tune of Hello Mudda, Hello yes. Fada. I remember Write you. me back. Oh, Felix Holland. Write me back. Yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Thank you for coming on Pantsuit Politics and telling us about Diabetes Camp and Camp Sweeney. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all of you for listening to this very special diabetes-focused episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday together, back from summer break officially, Beth and I, back on the regular schedule. It's going to be great. We can't wait to get back in the swing of things with all of you. Until then, keep keep it it nuanced, nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman, Molly Kors, Catherine Vollmer, Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, Linda Daniel, Emily Neasley, The Pettins, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Emily Helen Olson, Lee Shea McDonough, Morgan McHugh, Danny Osmond, Jen Ross, Sabrina Drago. Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. Until then, you want to say, say it with me. Until then, say keep it nuanced, y'all. Ready? Until then. Until then. No, I'll say until then. Then you oh, say no. keep it nuanced. Are you ready? Until then, Wait, what? What keep it say? nuanced, y'all. Ready? It... Ready? We'll say it together. Until then, keep, keep it, it nuanced, nuanced, y'all. Very good. VIP out. <laughs> <I have it. laughs>